0: seated. And uh, when you get seated, if you'll open your Bible, please, to Luke 23. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 33 to 49 today. 33 to uh, 32 to 49, excuse me, 32 to 49. Uh, I'm using the ESV. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 884. So that might make it uh, a little easier for you. While you're going there, let me just say that Pastor Todd and Susan are uh, out of town for uh, the weekend. They have gone to uh, Georgia where Pastor Eugene and Yetta have sold their vacation home and are packing up the goods. And uh, I understand that Pastor Todd and Susan will have a U-Haul trailer hooked behind whatever they're driving, bringing stuff back south shortly. And so you can pray for them. I am not sure he was looking forward to that. (laughs) But I could be wrong. Uh, Luke 23, 32 to 49. This is what the word of the Lord says. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen one of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, He breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We we thank you for. We thank you for the cross. Uh, this painful description, this humiliating thing that we've just read about, turns out to be our very salvation, and we thank you for it. We thank you that your Son Jesus was willing to go to the cross for us. We thank you that He despised the shame. And he looked forward to the joy of our salvation. And we praise you for that. Help us today as we remember his sacrifice. Help us today to be grateful in heart. Help us today, if there are any among us who do not know the Lord Jesus, to receive him today. Speak to our hearts today. Manifest your presence among us by the delivery of your word today in power. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. My wife and I had the privilege of being uh, missionaries in Latin America for 11 years, and the very first place we went was the small Latin American country of Bolivia. Bolivia is a very poor country, located right in the heart of South America, landlocked. Uh, We happened to live in a city called Cochabamba in the high Andes, and uh, as we were there to study the language, we began to get familiar with the Bolivian culture which is a very distinct culture. And there are many things in the culture that I I did not enjoy, but one of the things that caught my attention that I thought was really, really a good thing was the way that the Bolivians will remember the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ on Good Friday. Good Friday for us is kind of a throw-off, you know what I mean, in our country? Maybe you get Good Friday off, and that's great. You might go to the beach or whatever. But in Bolivia, on Good Friday, the city of Cochabamba, several hundred thousand people virtually shut down. There were no businesses that were open, there were very few cars on the street, no taxis running, there were no pedestrians on the street. There was this eerie silence as this place where several hundred thousand people lived became quiet because they said it was disrespectful to make noise between the hours of 9 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon because those were the hours that Jesus the Lord was on the cross. Now, you can say a lot about different cultures and different things that they do, but I can tell you with certainty one thing, with absolute clarity. There was nobody in Cochabamba, Bolivia, that did not know why that happened that day. Everybody in Cochabamba had this device, this tool that had had developed in their culture to remind them of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And by making use of that every year, everybody in that society knew what Good Friday was about. It's as if we as human beings need these little devices. We need these little tools to remind us, don't we? I mean, think about it. We all go through this, don't we? You, you, you've had this experience, and so have I. There's somebody tells you something that's really important, and you think, "Oh, that's really important. I got to remember that." And you think, "Now, what am I going to do with that? I'm, I'm going to have to. Uh, I need to at least pray about that, and maybe I need to mention something, or maybe I need to do something about that." And then something else happens to you. Somebody comes up and begins, it, distracts you, and you know, two days after you were supposed to take care of that thing, you think, "Hey." Wait, Uh, am I alone in this world? My my dad says he's arrived at the place in life where he can hide his own Easter eggs. (laughs) And I am in that condition. And I find that if there's any hope of me remembering anything, the older I get, I've got to have a tool. I've got to have some kind of a device to help me remember. You know what I mean? Even this, you think, well, if it's important enough, you'll remember it. No, you won't. Trust me. You get to my age, no, you won't you got to have a tool, and God knows how we are put together, and God knows what we're like, and he has given us a tool to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're going to have communion together today. This is what we're going to do, and I want you to know that this is not just some strange little ritual that people who are Christians pull out four or five times a year just for some unknown reason that's disconnected. It's just like a thing that we do, you know. At the end of the service, we tack on 10 minutes and we do this strange little thing with bread and, and a, a wine or bread and a cup. No, no. Dear ones, this is the heart of what Christianity is. And one of the things that the Lord knows about us is he knows that we will very easily forget the thing that's most important among us if we do not have a device that brings us back and causes us to focus on a regular basis on the glory of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What we have read in this passage is horrific if you're standing there watching it happen. And yet if you understand the meaning of what's going on here, it isn't just terrible, it's tremendous. Because by this sacrifice, we have been given life By this sacrifice, we have been given life. Let's look at this passage together today and see the tremendous nature of it. And then let's look at it and see what the reactions of various kinds of people are to this tremendous thing that Jesus has done. First of all, the tremendous nature of Christ's sacrifice. We find this in verses 32 and 33 and 34. There are these two criminals who are led out to be put to death with him, His death was with the criminals. Jesus Christ, the innocent one, the one who had done nothing, to fulfill the scripture that had said in the Old Testament that he would die a death with the criminals, is led out to die with two guys who are genuinely thieves and criminals. And when they come to that place that is called the the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on the left. Just notice, I want you to notice, there's just the plain statement that they crucified him. That's all it says, really. It just says they crucified him. You know, in our day, we make a lot of the physical pain and suffering. Uh, did you see the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ? That's a tremendous movie, wasn't it? I don't, I don't know what your reaction was when you saw that movie, but when I saw that movie, Gwen and I walked out of that theater, and we were speechless. There was just nothing you could say after you see the horror of the cross pictured in vivid detail. There is this tremendous suffering that Jesus endured for us. And in our generation, we tend to focus on that. It's a very interesting thing that the Scripture does not do that. Have you noticed that in all four of the Gospels... The entire account of what happened to him is just a plain bare statement. He was crucified. He was crucified. And I would suggest to you that that is an intentional thing on the part of the Holy Spirit and the scripture writers. Because as horrific as the physical suffering of Jesus was, that is not the point of the cross. It's a thing that points us to the significance of the cross, but it isn't the meaning of the cross. The meaning of the cross actually comes in the next verse down, verse 34, where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about this. Think about this man who is completely innocent. He didn't do anything to deserve this. And they have taken him and stretched him out and nailed him To the cross. They put nails through his wrists. They put nails through his feet. They had put a crown of thorns on him. He has been beaten bloody. He is lifted up hanging above these people who have made every effort, including stripping him stark naked and hanging him on that cross to humiliate him and to cause him suffering. And he looks out on the crowd and he says, Father... Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Dear ones, that's the meaning of the cross. That is the meaning of the cross. The meaning of the cross is redeeming love that will go through anything to bring us home. That will go through anything in order to express the love of God and the forgiveness of God for people like us. We should be struck by this that God's own Son, the only one who could deliver us, the only one who could meet our need, the only perfect human being who ever lived, fully God and fully man, infinite as God and mortal as man, so that in the harmony of those two things, he was the one person who could take away the wrath of God for me and you, And make it so that we could be welcomed into the family of God forever. Nobody else could do it. And he did it. And that's the greatest expression of the love of God that could ever be seen anywhere. That Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, would die for you and me. It is a tremendous death. It's a mighty death. It's a death that's unequaled in all of human history. No other death compares to it. It was a death that paid the price for us. The death of Jesus Christ was tremendous. How do people react to that? How do people respond to it? Don't you find it interesting in that 34th verse, the very first response? Jesus looks out from his bleeding Body and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Another day at the office. Just another day at the office for the Roman soldiers. Another day of being a big shot for the religious crowd. Look at the reaction of the religious crowd and the, and the Roman soldiers. The representatives of official religion, the representatives of human government, Standing there at the foot of the cross, this tremendous thing has gone on. He looks down at these soldiers who have driven nails through his wrists and through his feet. And he says, Father, forgive them. And they said, I wonder if he had any loose change in his pocket. Who's going to get what was in his wallet? What about you? You... you. You know, do you want the, the, the undergarment? It's really bloody. No, I don't want that. I don't think I can get rid of that. I, I, we're going to take this stuff down to the market and see what we can make out of this deal. Well, who's going to get it? I don't want it. Well, I don't want it. All right, we'll throw dice. If you lose, you've got to take it. Well, what about this nice uh, uh, robe thing he's got? It's all in one piece. I think there's some money in that. We might be able to make a buck off of that. All right, well, who's going to get that? Well, let's just cut it in half. Let's cut it into four pieces. No, we're not going to cut it. What are you thinking about? We won't get any money for it. Let's throw dice for it. Whoever the winner is can have that. His death meant nothing to these people because they thought they were the big deal. Listen to the voices of the high priests and and the the religious crowd. They, They mocked him. They said, Oh, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen one of God. They said, Hey, Mr. Jesus, Mr. Rabbi, Mr. Messiah, you thought you were the big deal. Who's the big deal now? Do you see where they're at? They don't see God's truth, they don't see. All they care about is strength. All they care about is who's the big deal. All they care about is that they can handle their own problems. And they're the ones who got rid of this little inconvenient rabbi who was causing them such a a fuss. And now this story is over with. And Monday morning they will wake up and life will go on beautifully for them. And what they have completely missed is that God's power is never in the strength of humanity. It's in the weakness of God. God at his weakest was on the cross, and the death of Jesus in his weakness and in his humility was enough to save anybody who will put their faith in him. You see, the strength is not in our strength. It's in his weakness. And they missed it. Why did they miss it? Because they thought they were the big deal. Pride. Pride. Refusal to humble yourself, refusal to admit that you have a need is the one sin that will send you straight to hell. The grace of God has come. The grace of God has appeared and is freely offered to every man and woman anywhere in the world. The one thing that will keep you from going to heaven is a refusal to humble yourself and take the gift. That's the deal. So their reaction is they mock him. There's another reaction in verses 39 down to 43, the reaction of the criminals. This is very interesting too, isn't it? Here he is being crucified between these two criminals. He's, one of them is just, uh, you know, doing what everybody else does. He's, he's just in his anger. He's lashing out. And he says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Let's make something out of this. Get with it. Get on the program. But the other one rebuked him. Isn't it interesting to think about... I mean, look, 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 look. Both of these guys are witnessing the same spectacle, right? Both of these guys have been hanging close enough to him to hear him look down at the crowd and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Both of them are witnessing this, this tremendous thing that's going on and who he is. And yet one of them says well, if you're the real deal, get us off these crosses. But the other guy's reaction is completely different. It's a reaction not of continued pride, not of continued arrogance and resistance. It is a reaction of what the Bible calls repentance. In other words, a change of mind, a change of heart. You know, this thief who says to his friend, don't you even fear God? I mean, we're up here because we got this coming. We deserve this. This guy didn't do anything. What are, don't you even fear God? That guy, a few minutes earlier, had been pitching in with the crowd, mocking him too, because we find that out from another gospel. But then somewhere in this, this maybe it was the saying of Jesus that said, Father, forgive him. Maybe that struck that man and went straight to his heart in some way that, that is only explicable by the power of God. But something has changed this man. It's taking him from being just another arrogant mocker, and it has just, in a spur of a moment, turned him into being somebody who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the reply of Jesus to that man's repentance was, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. A whispered prayer. A changed life. A man who went from death to life all in an instant. Why? Because he was confronted by the fact that he had no way to save himself. That he justly deserved the condemnation he was under. That Jesus was dying too, and was the innocent one. And that Jesus had the power to save. And so he did what you got to do, which is to cry out, to call out for mercy. And guess what he found? Guess what he found? Guess what he found? He found the mercy he needed just in the nick of time. Just in the nick of time. Think about what this man has to offer. Yeah, you know, some of us say, well, you know, God is going to save. Maybe God ought to save so-and-so because they got a lot to offer. You know, that guy's really smart and he's got some resources and that kind of thing. Is that how God picks out the people he's going to save? Here hangs the criminal stark naked. He's got nothing, nothing to offer except his shame and his embarrassment and his blood. And that is no good. It's just human in his part. And so, is God picking him out for what he can do for him? Is he going to get an opportunity to go serve God on the mission field? You know, God only saves missionaries. Did you know that? Aren't you glad that's not true? Right? Right? Because, because what is this guy going to do for, for Jesus? Oh, Jesus, I am so thrilled that you saved me. I'm going to go out and tell somebody about you. Really? You're going to do that? Nailed to a cross, you're going to do that? You're going to be dead? They're going to break your legs? You're going to suffocate within an hour? Within a few hours? You're going to do that? No. It wasn't that he had anything at all to offer to God. It was that God had something to offer to him, and he finally, for the first time in his life, was smart enough to take God up on the offer. That's the deal. Now, don't miss the fact that God God doesn't save us because of who we are, and nobody is too far gone for God to care for. Nobody is a hopeless case. Nobody is too far gone... For God to care for. Learn also that we should beware of repentance without evidences. This man had evidences, didn't he? He confessed that he had a need. He asked. He cried out. There was a change in his life. There was something that responded to the offer of salvation. God forbid that we make the claim that we are Christians but live unrepentant lives. The people who do that are in grave, great danger. Because whenever repentance is real, it always causes us to cry out to God and get the help that we need and to be changed in an essential way. Always. Always does. Another thing we can learn from this thief is that the time when the thief was saved was the hour of our Lord's greatest weakness. When the thief was saved, it was the hour of our Lord's greatest weakness, and his greatest weakness is still able to save, still able to save any of us. There's another group of, that reacts, responds to this sacrifice. We find them in verses 44 down to 48. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Consider the tremendous nature of those supernatural signs. Tremendous nature of those supernatural signs. There's darkness over the land. That's the descent into hell. In the Old Testament, darkness was a symbol of God's judgment. This is the judgment of God on the Lamb of God. From three o'clock, from t- noon until three o'clock in the afternoon, there's darkness. Symbolically, God is saying, Jesus Christ is in hell right now for your sins. If he didn't take hell, you've still got hell to pay. I've said it before, and you know it. But he took hell for us, and this is when he did it. And then what else are we told? We're told that the veil of the temple was torn in two, which is emblematic, it's symbolic of the way to God being torn open so that any of us who are washed in the blood of the Lamb can now come without fear and without embarrassment into the very presence of the God who made us. Now, when he breathes his last after committing his spirit into the hands of the Father, the centurion is struck by this. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And there's a further reaction of the same sort among the crowds. The crowds, who a few minutes earlier had been mocking, a few hours earlier had been jeering at him, And now all the crowd that had assembled for the spectacle, they came for the show, but they got more than a show. And when all the crowd that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. There was something that happened on the inside of them. There was something that happened in their heart that cut them to the quick. What happened to them? What's the end of the story? Wouldn't you like to know? What happened to the centurion? Are we going to meet him in heaven? When we get there, is he going to be waiting, saying, hey, I'm the guy? What about the crowd? Did the crowd come to know the Lord? We do not know. We're just not told. We're not told the answer. You see, they were cut to the heart, but in order to be saved, you not only have to be cut to the heart, you must respond You must respond. You must call on the name of the Lord in order to be saved. And there are a lot of people who come to church services like this, and week after week they sit through the service, and they listen to the gospel being preached, and something tremendous is going on on the inside of them, and they just say, not today, not today, maybe later, maybe maybe just before I die. And let me tell you something. You can talk yourself into an absolute disaster by pushing away the urgency of the Holy Spirit. I wonder what happened to these people. Maybe they were among the people who came to faith in Jesus on the day of Pentecost, but maybe they weren't. We simply do not know. What about you? What about you? Have you opened your heart to Jesus? Have you taken advantage of this great sacrifice? Maybe you're here today and something has gone really wrong on the inside of you as you listen to these words being spoken about our Lord. Let me tell you how you can get relief. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to do a memorial service at the National Cemetery. And I was asked by the guy who's the head of the National Cemetery, I don't know how he guessed that I was a preacher. I was dressed in a black suit with a tie and I had a Bible in my hand. How do you think he knew? You know, I'm just standing in the waiting area, getting, you know, waiting to, to do what we do. And the guy called me into a back room and said, are you a preacher? I said, well, what do you think? You know, I said, yeah, I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. Hey, if you're going to have the part, look the part, right? Okay. So he calls me, me into the back room and he says, are you, are you a pastor? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. He says, look, i got a guy who's collapsed on his wife's grave out here. He's got a bottle of liquor. And he needs somebody to help him. After you do the memorial service, could you come and help this guy? So I got the privilege of going to talk to this guy. And the guy said, Listen, I was in the army and I was in the war and I killed 13 people and I am not going to heaven. I am going to hell. And I had the privilege of being able to say to him, I know a way out of hell. Now, whether he took that or not, I do not know. I don't know. You plant the seed and you leave it there. I explained it to him. He knew John 3.16 better than I did, by the way. It wasn't a question of knowledge. It was a question of willingness, you see. It's always what it is. It's never about knowledge. It's always about willingness. What about you? You know the gospel. You've sat through many, many gospel presentations. Would you like to know the way out of hell? Because I can give it to you today. When this service is over, if you'll go down that hallway and go to the second door on the left, there will be somebody sitting down there who would be loved to tell you how to get out of hell. If you are sitting here today trembling on the inside because you don't know what your destiny is, why don't you go make sure today? You can, just like the thief on the cross, you can go from a, a tremendous lostness into. Heaven's presence all in an instant by simply giving your heart to Jesus. And that can happen today. One more group. His acquaintances. All of his acquaintances. Verse 49. And the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. I I wish I could see their faces. You can imagine, can't you? You've seen pictures of men who have been in combat. You've seen people who have been in the throes of combat, day after day, week after week for a while, and they, they have what's called the thousand-yard stare. You know what that is? It's like they're not looking at anything in front of them. It's as if they're focused on something that's a thousand yards away that nobody else can see. And they are just transfixed by what they have witnessed. And they are just stunned by what they see. I, I think that's the look that's on the face of these people who have come with Jesus. I think they've got that thousand-yard stare as they look toward the cross. I think they're just transfixed by what they've witnessed. And I can tell you one thing with absolute certainty. Not one of them ever forgot what they saw. Not one of them ever forgot what they saw. But we do easily forget, don't we? Even those of us who believe. When we first come to the Lord, it's wonderful and fresh. Come on down, guys. But we have to have something to remind us. We have to have something to call our attention back to this tremendous and great gift that we have been given. And so the Lord has given us his table. He has given us the communion service. And this is a memorial. This is a reminder of what Jesus did for us. The bread reminds us that his body was broken for us. The cup reminds us that his blood was shed for us. We are called to come to this table on a regular basis so that we never forget the stunning nature, the stunning nature of the gift that we've been given. The forgiveness of our sins, the changing of our destiny, a new life to be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. All of it represented here in simple bread and wine. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth about this, gave what are known as the words of institution. This is what makes it communion. We bring the word of God and the symbols together, and it's a communion service. So this is what Paul said. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread You proclaim the Lord's death and our salvation. You proclaim the fact that his death has given you life and that his bleeding wounds are keeping you in that life, that you are continuing to draw your life from him on a daily basis. You're being nourished and sustained 2,000 years later by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is what we are doing here today. We are reminding ourselves of that truth because we are so easily distracted. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, don't take, don't take the bread, don't take the cup. If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not for you. This is something who is for believers. You're on your own on that. God will hold you accountable for what you do on that. It's my job to warn you. It's your job to obey the warning. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you are not in fellowship, if there is unconfessed sin in your life, do not take the elements. The Scripture is very clear about the fact that we are held accountable for how we treat this. How we treat this is how we treat the Lord Jesus Christ. So we will take a moment, and I will give you a a moment or two come to the Lord and if there's anything in your life that needs to be cleared up between you and him do it now let's pray together you just pray silently Lord, we confess to you that on our best day we are miserable sinners. Uh, even though your life is inside of us, we just we stumble and bumble and we fumble. And yet the blood of Jesus, the, blood, the precious blood of Jesus, washes away all of our sins. All of our past sins, our present sins, our future sins, all washed away by the gracious blood of Jesus. And we thank you for that. Forgive us our sins. Prepare our hearts to receive your cup and your bread. And we ask it in Jesus' name.